Hallelujah. Well, this is, I believe, the last week of our series, Grace So Glorious. And um, we've taken a little bit different approach, maybe, than what, uh, what you're used to in the past. But uh, I am really enjoying it. I hope you're enjoying it. And um, the grace of God is such a, as I've studied it myself, uh, I thought this. And then um, <laughs> I heard some other well-respected ministers say the same thing, that uh, you really cannot sum up the grace of God in one word. I mean, we, we try to. Um, it's like getting to the place of prayer or in prayer, a place in prayer, where you try to express, uh, express it in an understandable word or group of words, and they just can't just do it justice. You're trying to describe God himself. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. That doesn't mean there's not many things we can understand about him, but that means uh, some things, like Paul said, are actually spiritually discerned. So you can discern it in your spirit, but you might can't get full comprehension of it in your mental capacity. But in your spirit, you kind of know like this is right and this is true. And um, glory to God. So let's go uh, and let's begin in um, Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, verse one. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Not faith in other people, but faith in them that heard. And so when you hear the word preached, uh, in other words, you have to mix that with faith. So when the word preached and the anointing's there, the Holy Ghost shows you, it comes alive, all of a sudden faith is present. But they heard this, but they didn't mix it with faith. Well, what is faith? You know, faith is, is trusting God. Faith is believing God. Faith is looking to God. But in order to be trusting God, looking to God, believing God, you have to have a total surrender of yourself. Uh, faith is actually surrender. I love what, uh, and I just looked it up, so I give you the exact reference. I love what Jesus said over in Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me will find it. In other words, if you're going to find your life, you first have to lose it. And the natural mind says, what are, are you talking about? Well, first of all, I am not the one talking about it. What is Jesus talking about? What is the word of God talking about? Um, he, he is saying, if you're going to find your life, you first have to lose it. You have to surrender all that you are, all that you have, all that you think, and you have to believe God. You have to release uh, um, everything that you could do, that you could come up with, that you could figure out. And so this is not just in the initial salvation experience where you're made a new creature in the likeness and image of God recreated in Christ Jesus. You've been recreated unto good works. You haven't been recreated to do bad stuff. You've been recreated unto good works. Well, it's not just in that, but the life that we live is the life of faith. If you're going to act in faith, that means that you are acting right now. That means right now you are surrendering this situation to the Lord. That means right now you are casting this care upon the Lord. That's why I said in the offering message, you know, that you cannot be acting in faith without doing the prayer of casting your cares upon the Lord. 
And sometimes we call it prayer, so people get all like, well, you have to close your eyes, bow your head. No, you just, whatever it takes for you to give it to the Lord and to talk to the Lord. And you say, Lord, I'm not gonna worry about this situation anymore. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get my little fingers, my little thoughts involved in this situation. I'm gonna allow you to work. Because it's as if when we keep it and we worry about it and we get anxious about it, well, what about this and how's this gonna happen? Well, you, you could figure out right there There is no joy there, and there is no peace there. You are not believing God. When you believe God, you're full of joy, full of expectation, because why? You have released what anybody else besides God himself has to offer, and you have turned to God, and you have said, okay, I'm going to get what God, what only God could do, not what God and me, or God and you, or God and them, but what only God could do. But that doesn't mean that we don't do anything. What it means is that kind of life produces actions that are birthed in the presence of God. It produces actions that God himself initiates because God can only put his full blessing and his full anointing can only flow on his plan and his leading and his direction. Now, he'll bless us as much as we will allow him to, but his full blessing cannot come on us if we're not acting in line with the word of God, with what he said, because he doesn't watch over us to perform whatever we do because we're a believer. He watches over his word to perform it. Now, sometimes... You know, I like to say, I got it from Jim Hockaday, and my kids love it, so that's how I say it. We tried with Jim Hockaday for a little bit, but helped him out with some, a few times. But um, he would say, uh, tiggers bounce, and believers believe. In other words, if you're a believer, that's what you do, you believe. And so by default, when you're born again, you believe. I mean, that's how you got born again. But you can't take away the scripture in Galatians that said, you started out being a believer that believed. Now, why are you a believer that doesn't believe? That's my paraphrase. How are you so, so far removed from the faith? Because uh, the word of God tells us we go, we're, we're supposed to go from faith to faith. But sometimes we find ourselves, we go from faith to works. Now, you will have works if you receive the grace of God correctly because you will be so thankful and so conscious of all of the goodness of God and all of the favor of God and all of the blessing of God that has been given to you by his grace or through his grace that it will cause you to act. You know, you know the scripture says a man's gift will make room for him. You ever have somebody um, that maybe you didn't have the best relationship with give you a heartfelt gift? It affects your heart just like that. That honor, what it is, it's a, it's a thing of honor. You hear that? And so, um, can you fix it? <clears throat> and so, um, it will affect you. And so, the giver, the giver, is affected. Excuse me, the one that receives the gifts is affected by the giver, by the heart of the giver. And so when you actually start, because you, you won't be fully conscious of what is contained in the grace of God, because there's so much, 
But when you start to realize what is contained in the very grace of God, it will cause a reaction upon your life that you automatically return thanks in the form of action and what you do. And so God is the ultimate giver. And the grace of God is favor upon your life. And as I, I, I said last week, I think I said maybe some of the guys afterwards, uh, looking it up in that dictionary, one of the, the definitions of that or one of the aspects of the grace of God is it is the attractiveness of God. And you could use the word favor, but it's almost like a magnetism. Like when you're operating in the grace of God, the blessings of God are, are magnetically drawn towards you. There's an attraction for those things. And when you see someone else operating in the grace of God or someone with the grace of God um, operating through them and in them, you can't just explain it with words necessarily, but there is an attraction about that person. I don't mean like a romantic attraction. I mean, you, you just want to hear them talk or you want to be around them. Why? Because their words are full of grace. They're, like Jesus said, gracious words. And so there is an attractiveness that happens. And then grace is our position with God. Grace, you understand, what happened was in the beginning, God created us, he created mankind to fellowship with, to have a close, personal, daily, uh, almost constant relationship with, to walk in the garden together in the cool of the day and to have a conversation. Well, that was all lost in the fall. But in Jesus himself and in his blood, that was all bought back and that was all brought back. And so that is a grace to actually commune with the Lord and to talk with the Lord. And not only to commune with the Lord and talk with the Lord, but to discuss the little things and the big things with the Lord. In other words, uh, your life is given over to the Lord. You're so surrendered that every part of you is given over to the Lord. So that at, at every moment, you're conscious of him, more conscious of him than what you are uh, the natural surroundings or the people around you. In other words, yeah, I'm conscious. I'm here in the room with you. I'm talking with you. We go to lunch and, and I'm, I'm conscious I'm eating lunch with you. But my greatest consciousness is of him on the inside. So that if you say something that's opposite of what I have on the inside from the Holy Ghost, I'm talking now as a, as a pastor right now, but individually you do the same thing, iron sharpens iron, but uh, I've had so many people tell me, because I just seem like something just rose up, like there's a kind of difficulty in this situation. I say, hey, is there, are there, how are you doing concerning this? Oh yeah, no problem, no problem. And they're saying that, but on the inside, I, I still have that, no, something's not right there. And so you know how we are sometimes, we all live in the flesh and, you know, <clears throat> different cultures are different in different uh, ways. If I remember right from Michigan, uh, in Michigan, if somebody uh, took you out to eat and they wanted to pay for it, uh, I think the tradition was you say, oh, no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. Even if you want them to pay for it, because that's just, that's just how they did it, you know. And um, a lot of times the Lord will be using someone to answer the prayer that we actually asked him about and what we asked him to do. But we kind of like, oh, no, no, well, we, we don't open up. We, we don't, we don't, you know, you, you, ever, you ever get that? Where um, 
you should be willing to receive, but initially your flesh rises up and actually tries to stop you from receiving. That's why I love 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, because Paul, by the Holy Spirit, talks about the grace of giving and receiving, because you need to have a grace in order to receive. If you don't have a grace in order to receive, or maybe I should say it this way, if you don't enter into the grace of God, you won't have uh, ease in receiving. It'll be difficult to receive. So if you're having trouble receiving, that actually would be a great clue to tell you, wait a minute, I'm resisting the grace of God because the grace of God has put me in such a position, I'm in now the receiving position. The grace of God has made us a receiver. And the grace of God really has made us a receiver of everything that Christ is and everything that Christ has done. Uh, so what happened is, in the fall of man, everything was messed up. Uh, our relationship with the Lord was, was cut and was severed, and man died spiritually. And then Jesus, of course, came back to repair, to repair that breach and to fix that. And he is the grace of God. And so then, therefore, in the grace of God, we, you know, the, the Bible actually even calls the Spirit of God the Spirit of grace. And what happens with grace is we get our rights back that we had before, our right to commune with God, our right to access his presence, our right to just have a conversation with him. And what also happens is we get to have the consciousness of being right with him. Because you, you know, with my own children, if they do, they did something last night, <laughs> believe it or not, that was inappropriate. And so uh, we were still in a relationship, but our fellowship was a little bit damaged. But if I forgive them, but they're not conscious of that forgiveness. Do you know what? They will act like they don't belong. They will act like they are not accepted. They will act second class instead of first class. In other words, they will not act like my children. They'll act like your children. <laughs> what I mean is they'll act like someone else is their parent. And that's exactly what happens to every believer who is not conscious of the power of the blood of Jesus is you act like someone else's child besides God's. Many times you act like a child of the devil. And I don't mean because you have all of these bad actions. I mean because you feel like uh, there's almost a fear to approach God. There's almost a, there's such a consciousness of looking at yourself after the flesh and what you could produce or what you did produce in your flesh, that you're like, no, I, I know what I did. I, I know I didn't spend any time in the word. I, I know I don't even, I know how I feel. I know I feel far from God. I know I feel like I, I'm the, uh, this, this God doesn't even love me and God doesn't even listen to me. And when I speak it, I feel like my words just go, but the grace of God through the blood of Jesus removes even the consciousness of sin. 
and the consciousness of missing the mark or the consciousness of not belonging or the consciousness that you, know, you, you have a different father. No, one translation actually says, being a new creature, you've been refathered from above so that we have God as our very own father. That's why I love the prayer in Ephesians chapter one and Carpenter, particularly Carpenter's translation where he says, well, actually Ephesians chapter three, and where he says, you know, um, when I think of my own father and all of the fathers and all of the homes where I have ever been a guest, and then I multiplied a thousand, no, 10,000 times, and I think, what is fatherhood? What, what could it actually mean to God and in heaven? What does it mean to be a father? I'm, I'm starting a study right now uh, for myself, and we'll probably do some stuff uh, maybe online with it for the church, uh, but a study on the family and parenting. And, um, and, and you think about it, that God himself is the father of a family, And think about how easy it is for mankind to get away from God's best and to mess things up because we we don't enter into grace, actually. Um, How easy it is. But you think, like Carpenter said, of what fatherhood must mean in heaven. You're you're talking the perfection of a father. You talk about the, the provision of a father. I mean, he is Jehovah Jireh. He does provide. And if he is Jehovah Jireh, how can you have lack? In other words, if he is the God who provides and the God who provides is your father. So the fatherhood of God is actually God's grace. That's when we enter into grace because God doesn't just become a far off, but he becomes a near present and you become a member of his family. I mean, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn of a new generation. And so the same rapport that Jesus has with God, the same favor, the same expectation that God has when his son comes to ask him something, that's the expectation that he has when you come by the blood of his son to ask him something. When you come just to spend time with your daddy, that's the same expectation he has with Jesus is the same expectation he has with you and he has with me. But what we do is we clutter up with natural thinking and natural way and natural relationships. That's why Carpenter said, I think of all the happy homes. Actually, is how it was. I wasn't quoting right. I think of all the happy homes to which I've been. The happy homes, because there's some unhappy homes. And then, and then he thinks of what it must mean in heaven. In other words, here on earth, you think of how even someone that's full of the Holy Ghost and full of the word, we do not 100% of the time live in that. I wish we did, Right? But even in that, then he says, then I go to the picture of what fatherhood must mean in heaven. So that when Jesus sees you, he sees you just, I mean, excuse me, when God sees you, he sees you just the same as he sees Jesus. And so what happened is there was a great exchange. And this great exchange was that him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, was made to be sin itself. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So as much as all sin, the same verse that says all sin 
was placed on Jesus is the same verse that says all righteousness was placed on you. In other words, if he went to that extent and took all of that, that so in, actually in Corinthians it says he took our death so that we could live his life. He says, if, if all were dead, how can we that were dead to sin live in it any longer? He said, if all were dead, then they that live should live like those who are alive from the dead. You remember that scripture? That's not in my notes. So I can't tell you exactly where it's been in Corinthians. That we which live should live as those that are alive from the dead. In other words, like if one of us yesterday died and went to heaven for a few moments and came back, how would you live your life? Well, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying through the Apostle Paul. That's how we're to live. That I've been alive from the dead. Well, if you ever get consciousness of the grace of God towards you and upon you and in you and that can flow through you, if you start to realize the state that you were in, you become conscious of how you were or how you would be without Christ, your position, that you have no approach to God, that you have no way to access life that is true life or life that really is, as one translation says. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. One translation said, I have come that you might have life to the full. Life that really is, full life, abundant life, over, overflowing life. And the way that we access that life is by faith in his grace. Faith in his grace. All right. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Well, let's start with verse 6. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. <laughs> okay. You know, do you understand that? I would desire to be like, hey, look at me. Hey, look how, look how awesome I am. He said, but I would not be a fool. That would be so foolish. If I ever got the idea that I am what I am, or I have what I have, or I've been through what I've been through because uh, of who I am, because I'm so special, because it, like it was of my own initiation or my own doing. He said, um, Oh, just start with verse one. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory, for I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. And you know, everyone I know, Bible scholars included, say that's Paul talking of himself, and that's also what I believe. I cannot tell. God knows such as a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will glory. Yet of myself, I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I should not be a fool. 
You understand what he was saying? Uh, in other words, this was, so, this was so, so, so not of me. I can't even tell if I was in my body or out of it. This was so a God thing. This was so something that God initiated, that God did, and that God saw through. I can't even tell you because my consciousness was so much of God and so little of me that I can't even tell you. I can tell you I glory in the experience that that one had, but I don't need glory in myself. I glory in the man, or excuse me, the one that did it. So I glory in that man and the man that was united with Christ, the man on the inside. Okay. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me to be, or that he hears of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that were given to me, excuse me, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. A thorn in the flesh is the messenger of Satan sent to buffet. Like buffet is like trying to stop you from everything you're doing. That's a different subject. Lest I should be exalted above measure, Verse eight, for this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Verse nine, and he said unto me, my grace, that's the Greek word charis, is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made uh, perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we went through uh, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter four several of the weeks, and I think I started on it this week. And you see that they that believe do enter into rest. And so uh, he's talking there uh, of the Hebrew children. They had, uh, God had promised to give them this land. They sent out 12 spies. 10 of them came back with an evil report of doubt and unbelief. And they saw the land. It was flowing with an abundance of milk and honey and you know, uh, just a wonderful land. But they said there's giants in the land. And they judged their ability to take the land not by what God said, but by what they saw. And so they said, um, we are not able to take the land, for we are as grasshoppers in their sight and in our sight. In other words, we know, like, we think, when they think of us, well, they're like grasshoppers. And when we look at them and we look at ourselves compared to them, they leave leaving God out of the equation completely. They're saying, we look like grasshoppers in that, in that. We think we look like grasshoppers to them. But it is a land of abundance, a land of milk and honey. And so Hebrews 4 says, stop laboring um, for this and that and this and that. Labor to enter into rest. Well, what is rest? Well, you enter into rest where God is the one that has completed the works. And so even in Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about God entering into rest. After six days, he created, then he entered into rest. And he said, uh, they entered not in because of unpersuadableness. In other words, God had told them and they didn't believe what God said. They were not able to be persuaded by the word of God, by what God had spoken, except for Joshua and Caleb. But then Joshua and Caleb were affected by the group that they were with because they had to wait 40 years. They still entered in, but they had to wait 40 years and wander in the wilderness with the the rest of the group that they were with because you're affected. So it's important that those that are our close friends, associates, where your church is, that, that you believe according to the word of God and the spirit of God, and that those are your, your, your main inputs. Um, praise the Lord.
And he said, verse nine, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So he said, I will glory in my infirmities that the power or the grace of God may rest upon me. So he actually calls the grace of God the power of God. That when the power of God is in manifestation, it is the grace of God in manifestation. And so he says, I would rather glory in my infirmities or my inabilities to produce results or my weaknesses. Why would you glory in your weaknesses? Because when I'm weak, then he is strong. And so in other words, sometimes I think we kind of tend to look at our weaknesses as the greatest concerns in our life. Well, I think the greatest concerns in our life are our strengths. Because whatever you can do without God is a real danger to you. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith, by its very essence and definition, means that it's a right now. Now faith is surrendering of yourself, your abilities, everything you could offer, everything you could bring, and turning to God and living in what he brings. Now, none of that means, none of that means, man, praise the Lord. None of that means that you just sit in your house and wait for God to do something. But what it does mean is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. In other words, first, you're, you're not looking at the kingdoms of this world, but you're looking at the kingdom of God, and you're seeking after the kingdom of God. Not only that, but his righteousness, his way of making mankind right with himself. That is through the blood of Jesus. So you seek first the kingdom, and the access to the kingdom is the righteousness of God that you are in Christ, which comes through the blood of Jesus. And so this is where when you're weak, then you become strong. So in areas where you think, well, I have a natural given strength, that just means you cast that aside and you say, okay, Lord, I'm laying this on the altar. So you go into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. You say, okay, Lord, you know, Smith Wigglesworth, Lester Summerall, who I grew up in Elkhart, Indiana, was right next to South Bend, Indiana. That's where uh, Brother Summerall uh, had his ministry base. And um, so he went and uh, stayed with Smith Wigglesworth a few times when, he was, when Wigglesworth was older. And he asked him one time, he said, he said uh, how do you get up in the morning? He said, what do you do? Like, how do you get up? He said, I jump out of bed and I high speed dance for 10 minutes. He said, then, I don't remember the exact order, the rest of this, but he said, then I take a shower. Then, then, then basically what he does is he high-speed dances. He does like the natural hygienic things. And then he reads the word for an hour. And then he prays for an hour. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do today? And that is to be our life. I don't mean those exact uh, amounts of time but that you turn your day over to the Lord, that you turn your talents over to the Lord because your talent yielded to God is greater and fuller than what it would ever be at your own initiation. In other words, uh, maybe you're talented at the place that you're working right now, but if, if you do not turn yourself over to the Lord and say, Lord, here's my gift that you have given me, how do you want me to use this? Where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to work? Well, it's going to be a lot more difficult to work in faith. Like if I didn't know that God told me to come out here, I would have left a long time ago. I'm just here to tell you. 
And if you, <laughs> when you find yourself doing something in your own strength, it may be fun for a little bit, a short while, but that kind of loses whatever it, you thought it had <laughs> pretty quickly. But when you're doing something and you know God is in it, and you know like he is animating you and he is, he is um, um, you have that attractiveness that only he could give. Even, even tasks that you don't like can become attractive to you. Because why? You've entered into his, the rest. Where he, you cease from your labor, you enter into his labor, what he has done. And so the grace of God is gets us beyond ourselves and what we could produce, and we get into what God has already produced. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, you could almost say complete in weakness. So that um, most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory or boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And Paul had a lot of strengths concerning being a minister, but he is the one that said, I- I'm going to glory in my infirmities. And-, and one of the reasons even here he's saying this is if you really get over into the glory and you live with the Lord uh, and you live out of that place, out of your place of relationship and fellowship with him, um, and you ever start to think like that's because of you, uh, you're kind of getting off there. So he said, because I have this amount of revelations and everybody's coming up to me saying, wow, you have such an amazing revelation. Hey, you know, I've got this messenger from Satan that's buffeting me, lest I be exalted above measure. So what I'm gonna do so that I continue to manifest the power of God, the presence of God and live in this place is I'm gonna kind of talk about and focus on, you know what? Without God, I couldn't do any of that. Without God, I couldn't even enter his presence. I couldn't even get up to speak. You know, when, when I get up, and I will testify for myself, when I don't, when I don't um, uh, minister with the ability which God gives, I have nothing to give. I mean, sure, you can look, oh, okay, what about this? Okay, let's say this. Oh, this seems good. Oh, this, all natural wisdom, right? Oh, yeah, this is gonna be good. This is gonna be, you know, the, oh, this, with, this with this and this with that. But you know, it like, it's like um, feeding rotten food to a baby. You know, like as a minister, as a pastor especially, like you, you feed the sheep. And so uh, it's supposed to be spirit-to-spirit ministry, according to Corinthians, uh, giving spiritual things to them that are spiritual. Uh, but when you try to do it in your own power, your own strength, without the Lord, uh, you're, you're going to say the word. But like Peter said, we preach the word with the Holy Ghost. And there's something about the Spirit of God, must be because we're one spirit with him, that when we receive things as he is our teacher, we are built up on the inside. We are enlarged. And it reminds me of uh, John 10, 10, like I quoted earlier. The thief comes not for, for to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life to the full. And so the way that we are to live life is to the fullest measure possible.
And that's not based on our own talents and abilities, but it's based on everything that we have, including our talents and abilities, given over to the Lord for whatever use and whatever desire he has. And in that place is the only place where you'll have a life that is so satisfying that you have trouble sleeping at night because you're so thrilled. Hallelujah. Stand with me if you would. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, maybe you've never accepted Christ. That is the ultimate act of grace. The grace of God that he sent his own son, that he gave his own son for you and for me. No matter what you've done in life, there's nothing you could do in your own power or your own strength of your own production that you could produce that would bring you near to God, that would give you access to him. The only way to God is through his son and through the life of his son, Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you'd like to. The Holy Spirit's working on you. He's, he's speaking to you. If that's, the, if that's the case, and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ, I want you to slip up your hand, and I'll pray with you and for you. We'll see you living for God and in the kingdom. If you're here this morning, and you're not filled with the Spirit, never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, and you'd like to be, there is an experience that Luke writes about in Acts, Paul talks about in Corinthians and many other books. Jude talks about called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses unto me. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you'd like to be, slip up your hand. I'll, I'll pray with you and for you. You'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. If you're here this morning and you have... A sickness in your body, disease in your body, and you'd like hands laid on you, and you'd like to receive, you're ready to receive healing from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to slip up your hand. We want to pray with you, and we want to pray for you. Jesus is the healer. Don't live with sickness and disease for one more minute. You resist sickness, and you resist disease. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that your word is full of life and full of power. In fact, that you sent your word and you healed us. Father, I pour grace towards us, within us, and upon us. Father, we thank you through him. I plead the blood of Jesus over each and every person that's here and each and every person that's listening to this message. Father, may your very best and your very richest be ours in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.